That is a lot of fun. Even when I can't hear it, I still love the sound of that Rec Poker podcast intro music because it lets me know that I am in for another week of the Rec Poker podcast forums edition. I'm your host, Jim Reed, Blusterini in the home games and uh, Hold'em underscore Steelers on Twitter. And I'd like to thank our sponsors, the Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack and Casino and Website Amp. So just like every week, I'm joined here by a panel of wizards. Uh, this this week, the first one alphabetically by name is Chris Jones. Chris, why don't you tell the world where they can reach you and a little about yourself? Yeah, I'm Chris Jones. I'm 5x5 five five on Poker Stars and Twitter. And I'm John Somsky. I'm Poker Geek MN everywhere. Just like every week, we're here. We're going to talk about a post from the Rec.Poker forums. We're playing against each other in the Rec Poker home game on Poker Stars for play money and bragging rights and maybe one of these fancy pins. And uh, what we do is we invite a premium member to come join us to talk about one of their posts in the forums. And this week, I am excited to introduce Colin Anderson. You might know him from the Recce's Award Show, where he was a mover and shaker putting that production together. Uh, or you might know him as Gloves 1010 in the home game. Colin, welcome to the show. Tell uh, the folks a little bit about yourself. Yeah, great to be here. Appreciate the invite. Um, yeah, Gloves 1010 in the home game. Um, been playing poker for about 15 years recreationally um, most of the time, but really getting into online lately. And uh, so the hand I shared here is is from one of the uh, online tournaments I did pretty well in. Nice. Well, it's great to have you here. And um, what we'll do is we'll just kind of go through the hand. We'll talk a little bit about it, um, the various decision points. Folks, I know I say this every episode, but you have to go to rec.poker and check out this forum post. The, the name of the forum post is Interesting Hand from the Final Table of a 1500-Player ACR Tourney. We'll put that link in the notes for the show, but uh, there's all sorts of details in there. You got a ton of responses from uh, other members of Rec Poker, so uh, go and check that out for yourself. So, Colin, final table, way to go. Well, you must have been pretty excited as you get into So this hand comes, it's eight-handed. You're, you're at the final table. You've gotten a few hands in there. First of all, just like, what are you, what are you thinking about? How are you feeling? What's going through yeah. your mind? So um, of late, I had made some deep runs in tournaments and gotten into, you know, the final two tables and had not been able to run deeper, um, just, you know, find myself in a bad spot. And so I'm really thinking about at this point, how to ladder up and make sure that I'm going to run really deep, because that's obviously where all the money is. And so trying to make really good decisions at, at this point so that I don't go out too early. Mm hmm. <laughs> that's right but you still don't want to turn down those good spots right that's that very delicate calibration absolutely yeah, yeah. all right well take us through uh take us through the post in in your own words there's i love the way you put this through in slides it's uh, it's going to be fun to to go through it with you yeah absolutely so um as you said we just made the final table this is actually i think the second orbit of the final table um one player busted very quick and so there's eight of us left um, I think the average stack at the table is probably right around um, 30 to 40 big blinds. Although there's two players with 60 big blinds. Um, I have 40 big blinds um, and then the rest are right around 20 big blinds. So and this is actually, pretty... this is an interesting spot because the average stack is usually a really important thing to be paying attention to, but it's really misleading here because you've got three players with a stack of around 20 big blinds or less 
And then you've got three players with a comfortable amount of chips. So it's really more like you've got the haves and the have not here. Um, and, and you're in a great spot because the player to your right and the four players to your left are the short stacks. So you're in a, you're in a good spot. And I think you do have some incentive to play sort of the long game a bit because most of the big stacks are to your right and uh, you are in a good, you are in a good position there a little bit. So in this hand, I'm in the hijack um, under the gun, who is the chip leader with 59 big blinds opens for 2.38 uh, big blinds. And, and uh, I don't, uh, the, the two players that are going to be in this hand, I have not been at their table. And so I got, um, I use a HUD, but I only have 14 hands on him. So I've really no mm. good reads on him. Um, so he opens under the gun. I, in the hijack, have the seven of clubs, seven of spades. And I decide to just call. Um, it folds around to the small blind who also calls. And so there's three of us going to the flop. Uh, and the small blind has uh, is the short stack with 15 big blinds. And this is actually feels like kind of a weird spot pre-flop i'm i'm inclined to call as a default and i think that you you given the stacks of the original opener and yourself i think you're actually even getting the correct pot odds to or the correct odds to set mine there um and like i said most of the players to your left are short so uh, i think there's an, actually an argument for calling here there's an argument for three betting and there's an argument for folding um does anybody feel like they have a favorite there that they want to talk about at this point? Well, I seem to be in, the, uh, based on what I'm reading, I, I seem to be in the minority. Um, but I really like an exploitively small three bet in this spot. I like it because of your position at the table. I like it because of the four people to your, to your left are all less than 20 big blind stacks. So I think that any kind of, and I, so I would not be doing a three X, bet here i would probably be raising this to maybe six and a half big blinds maybe seven um and because i think that's that's enough pressure you're putting all the leverage on them and you're gonna find out whether it's you know you don't have that many hands on this under the gun player the other big stack is already folded um so this player seems to be opening too much but we don't have that many hands on them and if they wake up and they you know, come over the top, then I actually have probably invested fewer chips than I would if I call um, in this spot. So I kind of like a really small three bet. And if one of the uh, the small stacks jumps in, I'm going to have to, you know, and shoves over the top, I'm going to have a pretty big decision to make, but it's probably a trivial kind of fold again, because I've kept my three bet small. Yeah, that was one thing I wanted to talk about because there was some, and, and all the different options are expressed in the comments of the forums too. And there was this concept of maybe if you do make a three bet, is it to get it in against some of those small stacks or is it to fold to some of those small stacks? And I think depending on your who you think those small stacks are, you could make an argument for either. I think what matters is that you just have thought about that before you make the raise. And, and I've got, I mean, the people who are listening don't have the, but I have the screen in front of me with the stack sizes. And so I am probably calling the shortest stack because they have 14 big blinds. So if I put six and a half or seven in, I, you know, I'm just calling with sevens. But if like the 23 big blind person shoves over the top, then I'm folding. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
So it's not really, so your, your reason for playing the hand in that way is different than the reason of the player who's calling, hoping to maybe like set mine against the big stack. It's just like, it's a different using the hand for a completely different purpose. I feel like the, the other, the other stacks are going to be handcuffed by this move. Yes. And the big stack is also going to be kind I mean, they're, you know, they have us covered, but they're going to be in some, some hot water based on a very small three bet. Now they might flat us, but that's okay. I, I, you know, we, then we're in position and we've got a pocket pair. Yep. Yep. So there's a comment uh, in the, there's a comment in the replies here from ARW, one of my favorite uh, forum posters who says that it's actually, he thinks it's a fold, um, too many players behind who can four bet if you three bet or who can three bet if you flat and uh, does say that according, he thinks the three bet is the second best option. Uh, and if he gets four bet, he's folding a high percentage of the time. Um, I, I am still, I mean, there's an argument for the fold. I still can I'm not sure I can not call. <laughs> I'm not sure I can not call in real time, given the stacks. And then I'm probably folding to most of the shoves except the short stack. Um, and I think that's just kind of like weak, tight leak of mine, to be honest with you. Because uh, I kind of I kind of like your exploitatively small three bed there, Chris. All right. Any, I think we know uh, Colin prefers the call because that's what happened. And Yeah. I think the three bet's really interesting. It probably, as I look back on it, I think – Chris is probably right. I, I, again, I had that mentality of, I don't want to pay, play a big pot against, especially the chip leader and, you know, find myself in a position where I'm, I'm going out on eighth. Um, so I was, I was being careful against the chip leader fold. I, I, I can say calls probably the worst option, but it is what I did here. So, <laughs> well, and it does, you know, it's, it's not a kind of hand that gets favored by a lot of flops, right? Like suited connectors, you can play them on a lot of different flops, pocket sevens, there's only so many flops that, you know, have a seven in them. <laughs> Those are the ones you're looking for. Um, so I do kind of, like, given that they're the other big stack and that you're at a pretty good place in the table, I don't know. People talk about calling actually being like a higher variance play, and I think we might get into that a little later in the hand. But it does feel, very, you can feel like, well, I can just make a set and win a big pot or I can get away from it. So um, I see that too. So yeah, uh, I know I wouldn't have thought of the small three bet in game. It just would not have occurred to me. It's not a play that I have, but when Chris mentions it, I kind of like that idea. And particularly if one of the, the smallest stack does call, even if you have a marginal holding, you're getting the right price if everyone else folds and you have that extra dead money in there. And we get a comment uh, from Kim in the chat who says, I like the call early in the tournament but would definitely three bet later when ICM is a factor. And that is a good point because you do have a lot more fold equity now at the final yeah. table. Everyone else is also feeling that squeeze, right? So, okay. So Colin, we get to the flop. And, and uh, we how do, do you get one of the good flops <laughs> with a seven in it. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, the flop comes seven of diamonds, Jack of diamonds, four of clubs. So pretty wet dynamic uh, board texture. Mm. Um, that comes, but, but we are now sitting with a set of sevens. Um, the chip leader who's, uh, or I'm sorry, the, um, small blind checks. And then the original razor, the chip leader 
puts in about a third pot bet. So there's nine mm-hmm. big blinds in the pot. He bets about three and a quarter big blinds. And it's back to us. Yeah, so it's a pretty conventional C-bet size, um, regardless of the texture of the board. So I think he's going to be doing that with a wide range. It's, uh, there are, it, it is a pretty draw-heavy board um, when it comes to our action. The thing that makes – so I would be inclined to raise this in some spots, but because the short stack has so few chips left – um, I feel like I can call and there's a chance that they're going to get frisky, reopen the betting and we can, th- this is a hand I now want to play a big pot with. Um, but I think the best way to build a pot is to call and not to raise. Um, so I don't know if that makes sense, but that's going to be my approach at this point when I see it like this, I don't want to see diamonds. I don't want to see eight, nines or tens. Don't get me wrong. But, um, given the stack size, I, I, I want to call and then I want to make sure that someone else raises so I can get more chips in. Well, and I think it's a good spot for that actually, because um, this is a flop, you know, a Jack high flop with two middle cards usually is going to hit that small blind collar pretty well. And with only um, I think at this point, um, you know, 13 big blinds, it's a great spot if they do for to, to check jam. Right. Oh, yeah. And so um, I, I did call here thinking exactly that. I was hoping that they would come over the top and then I could, I could get my chips in, um, you know, happily at that point against anybody. Yeah. But they did not oblige. Should we talk about some of the other options here before we move on to the hand? I mean, three raising is still a good strategy. Like you're going to get more chips in when you have, <laughs> maybe maybe I'm just raising too much, but <laughs> but um, I, I think that small blind is going to be rather inelastic to a raise here. Uh, if they have a jack, if they have a diamond draw, I think we're getting these chips in the middle, um, even if we raise. Um, and because they can't, they can't, they've already committed. They shouldn't have flatted this really with this mm. stack. And even if they did now that they're here, they can't lose this pot. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm much more concerned about um, our under the gun opponent and I want to uh, charge them for any draws that they have um, and um, take, take advantage of the fact that I have now, got a very valuable strong hand um so i'm probably raising this in this spot i think the thing i like most about what you just said chris is that you're mostly concerned about the large stack opponent and i think the fact is you're so smart chris this is true because the small stack if they have a hand that is going to get in or not it's going to get in or not they are inelastic to our sizing here and we have an opportunity to make a bigger pot against this other opponent who we are so much better served by doing that. Uh, so let's just think about this for a second. Let's try and prove Chris, Chris wrong here. Yeah, please so, do. Cause I, <laughs> I no, like yeah. I just, my answer is just always let's raise. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anything about that, Chris. Uh, so the, so what we to prove to prove Chris wrong, we'd have to say that there was a particular, class of hands that the big blind had here 
that they would not continue to a raise here, but they would continue to a call. So I guess we're taking some of the bluffs out of their range. Is that what they're saying? Like the bluffs that they feel like, okay, I really can't do it now because they're both interested in Yeah, the and I suppose I suppose they're going to have to fold pocket eights, pocket sixes, pocket nine, some of that kind of like middling garbage that they just are like, I don't know what to do, so I'm going to flat here. So those kinds of things are maybe folding. So we might be losing a little bit of value. They might call if we flat and they've got pocket eights or nines, they might be coming along as well. Maybe. Yeah. Cause you'd be raising it. They'd be a they'd be effectively all in. We can quibble about yeah. the space, the sizing, but they'd be right. effectively all in. Right. So it would be a call. Right. So maybe I'm losing that. I'm losing, we block all the sevens. Maybe they've got a seven. Yeah. But, but that's yeah, hard. To, you're right. yeah, I mean, like I, you know, I, I really, it's, it's, I think they're continuing with jacks and diamonds no matter what. And I think they're not mm-hmm. continuing with much else. Yeah. So I guess the question is how enticing is it if we were to call two, two and 2.4 big blinds there, they'd have 10 back. So that is some fold equity and the line is weak. The C bet call line is weak there. So if I had a note on that player that they were prone to the, bluff check raise then i guess that might be the tiebreaker here but in this spot i think chris has convinced me that what we really want to do is take a bunch of chips out of that under the gun range or have them put them to a real difficult decision with the kind of hands that we don't want them to continue with like strong draws which are really all that we're afraid of right now chris you've done it again all right yeah originally i was actually thinking just calling here and i think if it were a two-player pot that might be the better play but because you have a short stack here um you can't rely on the under the gun razor to actually be bluffing at it i mean this continuation bet may mm. be a bluff but they aren't going to continue to barrel as long as the uh big blind or as long as the short stack is calling so i kind of it's really smart it's not what i thought of at first but i'm coming around to i i guess i just follow and do whatever you say chris (laughs) (laughs) i mean i will say most people most people have said in the chat and in the forums they think this is a flat call and i you know if i if i am not at a final table and there isn't this short stack here i totally agree like if we're deep and we can play for, you know, stacks and stacks or there's not ICM implications. Um, yeah, I'm flat calling this every day. But I think in this spot, I like a raise. And I think the raise sizing should be in relation to the big blind, the big stacks chip count. We should be calibrating it to the effect we wanted to have on the deep players chip stack. So it might it should have really nothing to do with the big blinds stack at this point because their play is largely incidental to our our strategy at this point. Very well, interesting. I, I, th- I mean, I think if you're going to take a raise here, I think the sizing. If you do a three x, you're setting up a jam on the turn, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think it's your yeah. only yeah. play. Yep. So I think you'd size in, in a way that you're trying to keep your your stack to pot ratio pretty close and, yep. and just jamming. Yep. 
Yep, agreed. Unless a diamond comes or, you know, something yeah, right. like yeah, no, I mean, a diamond gets really yeah. dicey on this <laughs> yeah, turn. Yeah. If we get called after raising, um, yeah. yeah, and we get a diamond turn, then we're hoping to check to pair the river. <laughs> <laughs> well, the one advantage you have, too, is the, the big blind, uh, they could be having a straight draw here as well. Yeah. Whereas yeah. Oh, yeah. the under the gun razor doesn't. So getting it so that you can go beyond the small stack would still give you some, even if you lose to a straight, uh, you could still win some money if the other player has, you know, pocket queens or um, ace jack. I mean, really the only hand that the under the gun raisers should have that you're losing to is pocket jacks. Mm -hmm. Yep. Right. Yep. Well, I think, again, my friend ARW says it perfectly. He goes through reasons to call or reasons to raise, and then he gets down to fold and says, don't fold. <laughs> I agree with ARW. It is a two-horse race at this yes. point. Yeah. Um, now, normally, uh, we're having such a good time with this. I feel like we should invite our friend Jonathan Little uh, to just come so say a few words before we get on to the turn. So, hey, Jonathan, do you mind joining us for a minute here? Have you ever wondered whether you should call a preflop raise or three bet instead? What do you do when you have a flush draw? Do you raise it or do you just call? What do you do with ace king when you miss the flop? Are you tired of guessing about what the right play is with your particular hand? Well, my name is Jonathan Little and I am a two-time World Poker Tour champion and creator of PokerCoaching.com where we offer over a thousand interactive hand quizzes where you play a hand and then get real-time feedback from our world-class pros. Don't guess and don't stress. Just register for your free account at pokercoaching.com slash recpoker right now. Oh, all right. I think we did that one okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We're keeping that in. So we get to the turn and I'll just refresh everyone's memory. So we called an early position raise with pocket sevens and we got a third caller from the big blind. The flop was seven of diamonds, jack of diamonds, four of clubs, and it went uh, check, call, sorry, check, c-bet, call, call. The turn is the eight of hearts, so the board is seven, jack, four, eight, two diamonds. We've got two sevens. We're still feeling pretty good about our hand, I think. Colin, what happens next on this turn? Yeah, so that so now um, both of the uh, so the uh, small blind checks as well as the end of the gun original razor checks, mm. and so we're we're facing you know two checks to us and in, in our decision to um, bet check or obviously we're not folding. Yeah, <laughs> yes, the exploitatively tight fold. <laughs> no, I'm just convinced they have the straight. <laughs> um, yeah, any any thoughts right off the bat for I mean, and I should point out the uh, the big blind player now has about a half a pot stack, so their play is again largely incidental here, given the strength of our hand. So the question is really, how do we feel about the under the gun raisers hand, and how can we get as many chips from them as possible? I think they it's eight handed. They're a big stack at the final table. So I'm not saying that they are not playing 9-10. I think they probably are playing 9-10. So I think 9-10 is in their range here, but it is just a small part of their range. And virtually, I mean, ditto for 5-6, um, to be honest, on, on that turn. But most of their range 
is behind you at this point and, and still has some good equity though, I might say. And I think the thing that, that, that I would take from this is that with almost all of their value that beats us, they're betting this turn. Mm. Um, now, mm. you know, mm. I, uh, yeah, seven Jack, four, eight, two diamonds. Good point. So I, I don't know, like I, I would, I want to get value out of nine ten. Um, I'm scared about, you know, increasingly flushy or straighty stuff. If I have jacks or eights, um, I, I think, I think I'm once I see them check to us, I'm really confident that we, you know, there are some, a few players, you know, in the field. When they, but when you've got a big stack and you have a you have a monster value hand, you just want to keep the pressure on. I, I I just I can't imagine a world where we don't have the best hand right now. Yeah, and Kim makes a good point in the chat that um, they're probably also continuing with their higher equity bluffs in this spot because they do still have the initiative. They made the C bet and got called. They also should feel like they're basically up against one other player right now from a as the hand will develop point of view. So that's a good point. So I would expect them to second to double barrel a lot of diamonds, a lot of the straight combos that are either now a pair plus draw or a two pair, right? Mm -hmm. Or they're, I mean, I guess there's some just straight draws left in there, but. Right. um, If I, if I'm villain in this spot, the only hand in the entire world, the only combo that I'm getting tricky with is nine, 10 of diamonds Mm -hmm. specifically. Mm -hmm. But I think we can't be, we can't be scared of one combo. Yeah. We can be as scared as we want, but we can't tailor our play to it. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. And so for that reason, I'm, I'm betting. I'm betting. (laughs) Yep. Yep. I'm, I'm betting too. And I think I'm, I'm probably betting pretty big. Uh, in a vacuum here, I think the, mm, yeah, I do. I think I'm betting something like three quarter pot, something like that. I mean, let's just look at the stacks a little bit here, I guess. So there's That's 19 make in a, the middle, right? Yeah. 19 in the middle and I've got 33 and when I'm the effective stack. Yeah. The, the under the gun has 52, the the small blind has uh, nine or eight. It's pretty pretty small, and then uh, the hero here has uh, roughly thirty three big blinds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's true, it's true. Really, any bet that we make is going to make our river action kind of immaterial. Like we're going to have such a small stack left at the river. Um, any big bet is almost functionally similar. Should we be shoving? I don't like that we eliminate, like, I don't like what it does to our opponent's range when they continue. Um, maybe so we should is, be making a smaller bet exploitatively. If you shove, are you going to get anyone? I mean, do you get the flush draw to, to right. fold? Right. I mean, that'd be the, the only positive outcome I can think of. Um, I mean, or, or they call you with the worst hand. That's obviously a positive yeah. outcome as well. 
Um, but it doesn't seem like, you know, it's unless green. they're sitting on the flush, uh, the mm. nut flush draw with maybe, maybe like the ace eight of diamonds, which is unlikely for the under the gun player to have. But if they happen to have that, I could see them sticking around. But yeah, a call might just be the best way to get more value. If we had, if we had like another fifty big blinds behind us, then I like a big bet here, and we can leverage more on the river uh, when it goes our way, or even well, probably only when it goes our way, given the runout so far. <laughs> but uh, the fact that any big bet here leaves us no bet on the river. Do you guys have a position on that? Like if it was a bluff, you would just shove it, right? Given that that's the case, you wouldn't, you wouldn't make a pot size bet now and save yourself a quarter pot bet on the river with the bluff. So mm -hmm. you would just over bet, shove your bluffs. So then shouldn't we be over bet shoving some value hands like this as well? Or should we just not have a balanced over bet shoving range? Poker's hard. Yeah, uh, well, I, I, I didn't think. Of, I was gonna say I didn't think about it at the time, but I, I think I think it is either. I was thinking that the so I bet a third pot, and I think um, I was thinking that as I reviewed this, it was probably a mistake in betting too small. But I think as we've talked about it here, if if you bet two thirds pot, you just don't have a lot left. Mm. Um, I, I guess you can make an argument for it, but. Um, I think it is, I, I, I'm warming up to the either shove um, or a small bet, right? Exploitative small bet, trying to get them to bring along those hands that you beat, which is most of the ranges we've said. The one thing that's nice about the small bet is if it's small enough, the, sh the blind, the big blind player can actually reopen the betting uh, with a over shove because they've still got nine big blinds or something like that. So if you make it, so this is, this is some weird math here you would never advocate for making like a four big blind bet into a pot of 18 big blinds with middle set on a seven, eight Jack, <laughs> you know, but um, given that it, the difference between four and seven doesn't really make any difference to the total chip stack, but it, it allows that big blind player to reopen the betting. There's no, there's an argument for doing it even a little smaller to make it look bluffier and let them reopen the betting when they shove. Uh, but I think you've actually, man, I, this hand, Colin, you picked such a good hand. You've turned me backwards to frontwards on both of the streets we've examined so far. Now I kind of like that exploitative small bet. And again, the problem is on the last street, we made an exploitatively small bet because we wanted to get raised and we didn't. So we can't think, ah, these are the kind of players that like to make raises over exploitably small bets. Like that's a bad assumption that we would be making in this point. But it's still possible, you know? <laughs> All right, so we end up making the third pot bet, which is uh, six or seven big blinds or something like that. Yeah, Kim says, Tough hands still don't like the small bet with all the draws. Yeah, there's something about it that just feels icky to me too, Kim. I don't know what it is. Maybe we'll have to put this through the solver in one of our uh, study groups on Saturday or something and figure this out. Yeah, Chris, I, you look I like will say, if we had 
been done an earlier street action where we raised, <laughs> we would be in a spot here where it would be a much easier uh, true. decision. Yeah. We would just be shoving. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those cards that I think it goes to show how good, how smart that would be because we would, I think I would still happily shove here on this eight, even mm-hmm. though it brings in two different straights. And if it was the eight, nine or 10 of diamonds, that would be a tougher decision. Yeah. But I'm probably, I, I really like that. I think that's right. And, and it goes to show how important pot geometry is and how the sizing on earlier streets really shapes the hand, not just the size of f- future hand bets, but the actual action. So that's very interesting. All right. So I agree. Uh, as it is, what happens here, Colin? Yeah, you bet a third of the pot. And the blind player folds, right? And it yeah, gets they folded. Called. Yep. Yeah, they folded there with an eight big blind stack. And then right. the, the under the gun just calls. And so we have going to the river a pot of 32 big blinds. The under the gun has uh, 46 big blinds and we have 26 big blinds. So just mm-hmm. under just under the pot. And the river card is the 10 of hearts. So now we have a seven of diamonds, jack of diamonds, four of clubs, eight of hearts, Ten of hearts. Uh, not not exactly what we were looking for. There's a four card straight uh, on the board now, and, and and the under the gun open jams. <laughs> of course he does. Of course he does. <laughs> oh boy! So, um, and what is your? Let's just let's just review the action in the hand so far, so that people can think about the lines that players have taken. So. It went open raise call call on the flop. It went C bet call on the turn. It went the C better checked. We bet and they called and now they're leading shoving into us when the four card straight comes there. So that C bet could be all sorts of stuff. That C bet range contains all sorts of stuff that turn check calling range has a lot of hands that are now straights or two pairs, I think. Um, so it would be nice if we beat both of those hands. Uh, that would be very convenient. Unfortunately, we only beat the two pairs and we lose to the straights. So that's unfortunate. Um, and then the lead here, can we eliminate any of those hands from their lead jam on the river? Is there anything that you're thinking like, oh, well, they would never do that? Like, I like Chris's point about how a lot of these strong hands would have bet the turn and not check called. I know in this situation, um, if I had the straight as the villain, I am always jamming it because I want it to look like a missed flush draw. Mm -hmm. Um, And right now, this looks a lot like pocket nines to me. Because mm. pocket nines are of of all the hands that make a straight, that's the most likely one that the under the gun player is likely to hold. Or diamonds with a nine. They have two diamonds with a nine. Eight yeah. nine, nine ten, queen nine, king nine, ace nine, any of those I think are Yeah, it's just tough to tell. I mean a lot of op- under the gun players won't open those hands. Yeah. Um although mm-hmm. he is the chip leader, which chip is leader, make him, yep. Yep. Uh, I think they're gonna open be a little wider, wider too. Yeah. Yeah. 
And, and what are people, so you're facing this jam. It's for your tournament life. It's the final table. You've gotten a set that's gotten less exciting on every street. What are you thinking, Chris? Well, so one of the benefits, so this, this is where, you know, you're looking to tell me why I was wrong. One of the benefits of some of the smaller bets that we've made in this hand, rather than raising this, is that we can still fold this and still have the third largest chip stack at the table. So, um, I, I mean, I think I, I'm, I'm, you know, villains probably doing this with their diamonds that are don't have, contain a nine. Um, and so, and I, there are a lot of bluffs on this board, but um, with ICM and with our ability to fold this and still, st I think we're, we're facing a nine so often that I, this is a, a tight ICM fold for me. And I think the problem is that not a lot of their two pair combos are shoving here. Those are the hands in that range that we said we beat and they're just not playing it this way. They'd rather check call or make a small bet, get called by a worse two pair or something like that. But, um, you know, our range isn't devoid of nines. Um, and there's just a lot of ways two pair does not want to get into a huge pot here. So it feels to me like that leading range is probably, if it's balanced, it's going to be balanced with more like bluff air balls and actual diamond misdraws and, uh, mm -hmm. uh, and that kind of stuff. So the, the value part of his range that we beat, I don't think takes this line often. So that stinks. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Do you guys actually fold in game given all this, given all this? I'm not sure I'm good enough to fold there. Yeah. Right. I tend to think that Chris has the right move. I just, don't know that I can pull that off. We got some comments here um, in the forum originally. Originally, Taylor Moss has put in uh, several excellent comments. And at the end here, he agrees with Chris, smart guy. Uh, says, my first reaction is call, but everything, when you think about it, ends up leaning towards a fold, gross spot. And Kim in the chat says, I agree, this looks like a nine, maybe a call earlier in the tournament, but now with ICM uh, factor in play, uh, it's a it's a fold. Uh, Jamel, another great forum poster, uh, says, as played, I think hands we beat may bet smaller for value. So this has to be a straight or a bluff. I agree, Jamel. And given ICM, I think I fold and have trouble sleeping that night. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you come back and win the tournament. Then yeah, that's right. Which you can still do with 17 big blinds. Yeah, exactly, Chris. And I think, you know, it, it is worth saying that even if you fold and... And, you know, action continues. The dynamic at the table hasn't changed that much. The, mm -hmm. the chip leader just has a bunch of your chips now. Mm -hmm. you're, you're, you're not the short stack. You're in that tier of short stacks, but it's not like you're desperate. And still, all the money's to your right. So I, I, it's not that bad. Yeah, and, the, and one player is now really weakened. Yeah. The, the, the small blind that was in this hand with us. And we're still of the the middling stacks were the biggest so yep. I, you know, we're in a good position still yep. even if we fold this it's true it's true 
I'd like to think I would die fold this. I, I somehow I somehow I I think I would like project some BS fancy play syndrome on this player and then like decide <laughs> that they were just doing this to get me off. Like but um yeah, I think I think now that we've talked about it, I think it it just has to be a fold given all the circumstances. You can still find so many good spots later in the tournament. It sounds weird, but I don't know. And listen, sometimes it's a bad fold. Sometimes it's a bad fold and you shouldn't feel bad about that because it it's the right decision in the long run. And sometimes you call here and they have what? Ace 10 of diamonds. <laughs> I was like, what? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> but whatever, there's two diamonds probably. Yeah. And uh, and then, you know, you, you learn a bad lesson and that's life poker. Colin, what were you thinking when you saw this overbed shove coming to you? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I figured it's either a nine in their hand or it's it's uh, missed diamonds is what I thought. Yeah, um, yeah. It just felt like it was one of those two hands. Um, and uh, yeah, really tough spot. Mm-hmm. So what did and, you do? Yeah. <laughs> so so I, I, I let my time bank run for a long time thinking about it. And uh, I am also not good enough to fold here, I guess. So, um, <laughs> um, I, uh, I ended up calling. Um, and uh, John, the master, pinned this hand uh, a couple of streets ago, I think. Uh, he had the ace eight of diamonds. Wow. Oh, well, hey, Holy nice call. Cow. You're not good enough. You're better than anyone else. You made the call then. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it worked out well. I think, I think it is probably a fold, but I just could not, I, I, I hovered over the fold button for a long time and then, uh, and then moved it over and hit the, hit the call. So, um, awesome. you know, despite, you know, wanting to run deeper in these tournaments, um, and, uh, not, you know, not go out in early in the final table. I just, I, I felt like I just had too much of this to, mm-hmm. to hold it. So it worked out well. Yeah. So I, uh, I knocked him down and ended up, uh, winning this tournament, uh, being the big chip stack at this point and and with a bunch of small stacks around me. And here's to not being good enough to fold. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and that's breaking news because Colin hadn't actually put the spoiler uh, results up in the stack there. So uh, that's fantastic. And Colin, obviously you had been, you had it now you, you had some kind of a read on this player that they had those diamond combos in that range, right? Like, I mean, I think you're, you're, you were thinking about it exactly the right way there. Well, and- I think the check on the turn, when they check that turn, I just, I don't know. I mean, the check continued to my bet is suspicious, but um, I also thought, you know, this is a $10 buy-in tournament. You see some plays with over pairs. It, you know, I, I thought they easily could have also had, you know, aces, kings, queens Yeah, um, would still be in play here as well and would play that way. I've seen a lot of players play them that way. So, mm-hmm. I, I, there was enough of their range that I felt like it was. And then I, I also felt like it, I just couldn't think of a lot of jams. I, I, I know a nine um, probably does jam this, um, but there isn't a lot of nine combos. Nine, nine, I think is, a, is one ACE nine um, suited is one, but all of the other nines under the gun raise at this point, even with the big chip stack, um, it's pretty loose. King nine under the gun is, uh, diamonds is, is loose and anything lower than that is pretty loose as well. So I didn't put a lot of nines in, in the range um, and uh, decided to make the call. Mm. Mm. Well, it was a great hand. And I mean, we don't, uh, 
uh, we, we don't try entire, uh, we don't, we're not results oriented around here anyway. So um, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's a phenomenal hand for every street. It's not just a phenomenal hand because you want a big pot, but every street, we got something really interesting to talk to uh, each other about that. So a really, really well picked. Uh, let me ask you this. Uh, what are you doing if villain checks river? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I, I'm jamming the river probably there, um, making it look like I have a miss, miss flush draw or miss draw. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm feeling really good that I'm ahead if they're checking. Mm -hmm. Um, and I would, you know, I think the only thing that calls me, well, I think you can get a lot of two pair hands to call I think um, right. on the river and, yeah. uh, and yeah. some over pairs to call on the river. I, I, I think I'm jamming, um, yep. always on that river. Yeah, I think that's too, for sure. That's the difference for me is I think you can get some two pair hands to check call there that don't jam. And so I do like that. I think that mm -hmm. makes, that gets a lot of your money in against those, those two pair combos that, uh, they don't see it the other way. All right. Well, this was a real treat. Um, I would like to thank Colin Anderson, Chris Jones, John Somsky, our sponsors, the running aces hotel, racetrack and casino and website amp. Thanks everybody. And we will see you next week. Yeah.